Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. So today with us, we have Susan Plunkett. She is a writer and psychologist. She received her doctorate at the New School for Social Research in 1989 and has been in private practice in New York City for 31 years. Her favorite part of her work is interpreting dreams using the Jungian approach. For the past 10 years, she's been writing science fiction in which she explores the worlds of the fifth and sixth dimensions. Her particular interest is in wanderers, high dimensional beings who volunteer to come to earth and reincarnate as human to help us awaken to our reality of our own superpowers, our own divinity and oneness with all beings. She is currently working on her third book of her science fiction trilogy, Mission from Venus. Our listeners know how much Mandy and I love Carl Jung, and guess what? She is a Jungian. She has served as a member of the Board of Trustee of the Young Foundation and currently is on the advisory board of Quadrant, the journal of the CG Young Foundation for Analytical Psychology. We're so excited to talk about like two of our most favorite things in the world is Carl Jung and aliens. So it's a pleasure. We're definitely a match then. So yep. should we start with Carl Jung or aliens? Oh my gosh. Actually, I want to start with Carl Jung. I'm going to go there. Okay. Um, so I'm in recovery and I've said this before, but Shanna discovered years ago that he actually had a part in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They had a correspondence, he and Bill. Yes. I couldn't believe that all these years that's bedside. It's like my Bible. And I didn't even know that. So Shanna hits me up and tells me and I go, uh, duh. Of course he did, because he had a part in everything. Every single time we go to research or we are given information, he always is there. His name is always there. What was it about him that attracted you to his work? I always was kind of aware of him as a high school student and a college student, but I wasn't studying psychology in college. I'm studying English. And then, of course, when I graduated, I became a waitress and a used car salesman in Berkeley. But one afternoon, sitting in my house in Berkeley, I just picked up the telephone and I'd had a dream the night before that I was supposed to go to, back to New York and go to graduate school to become a psychologist. So I picked up the telephone in those days, there wasn't universal apps or anything. They sent me a mail, I called the new school because it was one of the few places you could go if you didn't have an undergraduate degree in psychology. You can't get a PhD program usually if you didn't study it. You know. So they took me and there was a, a Jungian professor there. He was teaching courses on Jung and I started taking them. And then I started dreaming of Jung, just like everything he said, like with you guys, it just hit me in the heart. I fell in love with him and I read every book on him, every biography I could ever find. I had the most amazing experience He's been dead since 1961. My younger sister died in her young adulthood. And I was so distressed about that death that I went to a life between life regression therapist so that I could cross over to speak to her. And typically when you cross over to the in-between space, a guide meets you. And the guide that met me was young. And what? 
Yes, it was him. I mean, I had dreamt of him many times, but it was him. He didn't look like him because everyone was just an oval of light. I knew it was him and all the communication was telepathic and he knew that I was there to see my sister and to talk to her. I had that exchange with her, which was so healing for me. I had been in life already to Switzerland on a pilgrimage, physically visit his tower. And I had visited his house in Kunsnag and, and sat in his consulting room and in his library with his grandson, who's an architect who lives there now. Wow. Just by reaching out to the grandson. There was no train stop for where his tower was on Lake Zurich. So you got off a, few, a, a train stop a few miles from it, and then you walked along the railroad tracks. And I remember the first sight of it through the trees. It was like suddenly something which had been in my psyche as a place for so long was in physical reality. And I almost couldn't believe it. So when I crossed over, we again went to that same tower by a lake, by Lake Zurich, in another dimension because the colors were different and the, the quality of the light was different. And there was so much light and so much color. And he gave me some downloads about what the unconscious is. And he said the unconscious where dreams come from is really God. He said, modern Jungians don't say that anymore. They say, oh, it's the unconscious, um, but they don't say the truth because they don't want to sound too weird or something or anti-intellectual, but the unconscious is the infinite. And every dream we have or everything we get from the unconscious is really coming from source. It was so reassuring to hear that. It sounds like he's really guided you. He has been he's a really very big source. Yeah. When I was a young psychologist and I was sitting in my thirties with people Sometimes something would just drop into my head and I knew it wasn't me. I was receiving that. My mm-hmm. receiver was getting a gift and I knew that I was supposed to convey that to the person, but it was just a felt sense. And a few years after I'd been in practice, maybe 10 years, I started studying or going every morning for three hour meditation with this woman who channeled a most incredible being called Manka. And I asked Monka how I could be more helpful to my clients. And Monka said, well, really, you can't do anything, but just let it come through you. You're a channel. Just let it come through you. We'll do it. We'll do it. You and every person you see and every object and every animal, everything is a spark of the divine. Just let the information come through you because you alone don't have the power. But if you just open up, we'll do the work. And they've been doing the work for 31 years. And I'm so grateful. If my channel gets blocked, or if I'm in a complex, which I get in complexes, like everyone, then I get blocked. You always know when you're in a complex, because you're in pain. If you're in pain, you're in a complex. And then you have to say, okay, what complex is this? Where was I hurt? Where was I hurt? And I didn't sufficiently acknowledge it. Let me do that and I'll break the complex. And that's true for me and everyone I see for all of us. It's just so validating, right? When I would receive my information, my downloads, and I would write, 
And I'd send them over to Mandy. And Mandy were like, well, this is exactly what it says in the big book. She would say it all the time, right, Mandy? And I'm like, really? Well, then that's a really good big book. <laughs> yeah. The big book came from God. And so did what we get. I love that because I need to own things that I feel because sometimes I worry about the outside world. Like when I compared young with Jesus, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to get some backlash for that. And then when I said that the big book felt like a Bible to me, I was like, oh God, I'm going to get judged again. Why did I get scared of what other people would think? Because I need to own it. I felt it. It connected for me. I think they're just as valuable one over the other. And so thanks for inspiring that in me. I know we all get afraid. What are we afraid of? This wonderful being said to me back then, what are you afraid of, Susan? Are you afraid of being burned as a witch? You've already been burned as a witch. You don't have to be afraid of that anymore. Just, <laughs> just say it. I wanted to go back really fast and just give you a moment of compassion for the loss of your sister. I have lost a sibling as well. It's very painful. Losing a sibling isn't talked about a lot. You always hear about the parents' pain. There's not, I've even researched, there finally is some books, but losing a sibling is very painful. So my heart goes out to you. Thank you so much for that. She yeah. is with me sometimes. And I'll tell you, I was going along in my life being a Jungian psychologist, kind of in love with Jung, wishing that I could have met him in the flesh. And then I get this information from someone, you might know her, Cindy Dale, back in 2015, she said, well, you have to write, you know, you have to write. It's, it's one degree in Minnesota, she said. One degree below zero, and I'm burning up because they're telling me you've got to write. And I said, I can't. I have a family. I have a dog. I have a cat. I have all my clients. And I was ranting and raving for a month. She said, I'm just telling you that your mission is to write. And I said, I have nothing to write. I have nothing to say. She said, you don't need anything because they're just going to tell you. So then I wrote the first book, which is a lot about the death of my sister. It's called When Every Breath Becomes a Prayer. And she said, well, that's fine, but that's not what you're supposed to write. That was just so you could learn how to write. You're supposed to write a trilogy, a science fiction trilogy. I said, I don't even read science fiction. How am I gonna write that? <laughs> I know Madeline Langle, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah. So said, don't worry about it, just sit down. Sit down in the morning, the downloads will come at night, and and then I was speaking to a shaman who had helped me many times, picking up lost pieces of my soul, my child's soul, putting us back together. She said, yep, it's a trilogy. Yep, it'll be downloaded. So I was getting it from more than one source. So then I just started sitting down and writing. And I weave Jung into it because I write about wanderers and Jung was a wanderer. And to go back to Mandy's point, Jesus and Jung are avatars. Buddha was an avatar. There are 80,000 avatars, wanderers on earth now. Not everyone is awakened. Not everyone knows that they're a wanderer from a higher dimension who volunteered for a mission to earth to help us wake up as we're on the cusp of moving, rebooting through this virus and through moving into the fourth dimension that many people from around the galaxy came here to help us. And some came sooner, Young came earlier, Jesus came before him. 
But, you know, even John Lennon had the balls to say about the Beatles, we're bigger than Jesus. And you know what? They were God too. And they were bigger than Jesus because there was more people on earth when the Beatles were here than when Jesus was here. And you know what? Jesus would not have resented that comment at all. He would have been really down with it. And because he was Jesus and he knew that. And he was saying, you can do what I do. You all can do what I do. And that's the message I think the wanderers are trying to bring you guys among them. You're trying to empower everybody. Nobody is up here and the rest down here. We're all God. And we all can have so much immense power that we don't know we have. So that's how I connect myself as a Jungian with myself as a science fiction writer, because Jung was a wanderer. And I, I don't know if I mentioned him by name, but I mentioned like Benjamin Franklin, I believe was a wanderer. Tesla was a wanderer. Certainly Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, those people. Anyone who teaches about love is a wanderer. Anyone who teaches about oneness you know, like the motto of the United States is out of the many one, e pluribus unum, out of the many one. We were supposed to be the way shower and we fell off the track, but now we're getting back on. I hope so. I've been calling us the divided states of America. <laughs> yeah. But we're supposed to be out of the many one. That's what our founding fathers, who a lot of them were wanderers. wanderers. They may have been slave owners. They may have fallen into dark practices because that's what the dark side is. It takes power and enslaves, you know, because you can't wake up easily in this dimension. This is a heavy dimension. Right. So I have a question for you. When you talk about volunteers, um, Mandy and I, we, like over a year ago, we did an episode on star seeds and we really, really, you know, jumped into the research, research to understand them. And we read, you know, the amazing book, The Three Waves. Do you buy into the star seeds and that there are these waves of them, like the indigo children, the, you know, the crystal diamond and all that? I do. I think there's so many ways to describe what's happening and language is limited. Language is a, a limited thing which reduces. So anytime we put names and labels and try to talk about it, it gets a little reductive, but there's tons of ways. And that is one. I remember when I was first reading about the Indigo children and being so overjoyed. And yeah, they, they're probably wanderers. And I do believe that each new group that comes is more evolved than the last. And then sprinkled in among all of them are wanderers who volunteered to give up their fifth and sixth dimensional powers, incarnate as human infants, grow up, try to wake up and remember that they are on a mission, that they came for the purpose because they love other beings so much that they want everyone to keep evolving on the path of light rather than on the path of dark. It's interesting that you bring up the vocabulary and how, you know, words can get translated in so many different ways, because the last couple of weeks that has just been really heavy on me. Like I can't stop thinking about it. And then when I research all of these different stories throughout history, I start to realize and have had guests on who've taught me 
that a lot of it, they're just saying the same thing and they're saying the same stories. They're just using different words and people get hooked on words. Yeah, we have to hear the essence about, basically about the love and not the, just the details or the labels because that's too reductive. And it, then we have to be right. Oh, it has to be our word indigo or no, not your word. You know, and that's crazy because it's all about love. Every single entity being who takes a life on earth, this is my opinion and what they say, um, does it for one reason, to know God in themselves and each other. That's mm -hmm. where God is, not in the sky somewhere. It's all of our light, all connected. And you know, we look for God when we're younger in different ways. Like what is alcohol but spirit? Alcohol is spirits and alcohol helps to free us from words. So it's no wonder many of us go down that path for a time. We're looking for spirit and what alcohol and many drugs, like it's particularly the psychedelic drugs, you know, LSD, DMT, ayahuasca, psilocybin, they shut down the prefrontal cortex. They shut down the frontal lobe. And whoa, when you shut that down, you start to see a wider reality. Everything starts to flow together and be connected. It's not that these things start our brain firing, the opposite. They just close down the most recently developed aspect of the brain, which is about planning and language. And then you start to see light and patterns of light. When I was in my early twenties, I was in London in Kensington garden, taking, having an acid trip with my then boyfriend. And we were lying on the grass, looking up at the trees. And I said to him, and I started weeping, I get the impressionistic painters. I see what they saw. You know how they just do dot, dot, dots of color. They don't like draw just everything's dot. Cause when I was looking up, I said, it's all dots. Were those guys on acid? Or how did they shut down the- Might have been. <laughs> and, you know, maybe there was lead in their paint that shut down yeah. their frontal cortex. I don't know, but- right. Yeah. Shut that down with meditation. I mean, meditation is easier on the body than alcohol and psychedelics. You can have your perception shift. So. We, even physicists admit now that there's no reality out there. Reality is affected by the person looking at it. You know, we change what we see. For example, dogs can't see rainbows because they don't see colors in that spectrum. And we see the tiniest bit of the spectrum. So it's all about the observer affects what's being observed. After I became a mother, I, stop doing drugs, any kind of thing, except for meditation. And it really seemed to me that those things, as wonderful as they could be, were just a keyhole into that vaster reality compared with what you can do on your own with meditation. When I was first told that I was a channel, I was terrified. I, I said, no, I'm not doing that. And it took another five years before I would allow that because I was too scared. But I said, that's okay. It's okay to be scared. And at that time I thought I would never do it. So yeah, I, had, I did go through, but everyone doesn't have to. I mean, maybe the 
indigo children and all the star seeds don't have to use drugs or they learn from our experience that that's a path, but it's an expensive path. Yes. What were you scared of? What am I going to find out? It's going to be too scary for me. You know, if I, if I allow my, oh, will I be taken over? If I open up as a channel, will I still be me? Will I be able to control it? What am I going to learn that might scare me? And, and will they control me? And will I, here's what it really was. I was afraid it might be the dark side. You oh, know? Right, yeah. you know, I think, I yeah. guess I was afraid that what if I open and, you know. Yeah. Now you're Dark Vader. <laughs> dark freaking Vader, yeah. Yeah. I was told first by a, a man who is now dead, who was a channel himself. He told me, watch out for the Dark Lords of Orion and you're actually a channel. But since he had already warned me, I was afraid. So I just tucked that information away. But then when I heard it from other people that I knew better, Cindy Dale said to me, your problem is you're gonna have to figure out who to tune out because there are gonna be too many people wanting to come through. So you're gonna have to tune them out. So I devised a way to before I write to ask that it come only from the light. I feel I can protect myself because I connect my soul, my spirit with the infinite spirit. And I ask that my guides and archangels only allow the light to come through. I never feel worried when I'm writing. You know, that's interesting. When I did a in-between lives regression, one of my spirit guides who I had just discovered and I always thought it was hilarious because he was mute. And I was like, okay, what kind of freaking spirit guy do I get? You know, we can't talk. This is lovely. But in my regression, he had told to Christine Morton, the regressionist therapist, that he's always been speaking to me. He speaks through my writing. But it wasn't till years later, I was like, wait, am I channeling then? Yeah. Was I... Wow. Okay. That's interesting. But I didn't even realize I was doing it. So, and I still don't like fully have my mind wrapped around it. So I feel like with you, how it took you a while to kind of like accept that. Years. Yeah. But even talking to you helps validate, like, it's okay. Like you're, you are doing that, like believe in that and trust it. I think we have that. Like, is this really happening? Yeah. (laughs) This is so weird, you know, given the 3D reality where maybe the majority of people wouldn't believe in this stuff, but you know what? Secretly, a lot of them do. Some of the straightest people, like last year I was having a book reading on Mission for Venus and like some of the straightest people came up afterwards to tell me, you know, I channeled this this one time. I I know I was channeling and... (laughs) We just need permission to believe we are not alone in the universe. And most of the beings are invisible on earth right now. There's a lot of invisible beings here helping us and rooting for us. I think it's wonderful, but it's natural that we doubt. When I'm writing, sometimes I have a felt sense that there are beings to my left and right and they're feeding stuff. And then other times I'm writing along and I think, is this me making this up? Yeah. And something else will just drop in and that feels different. One shaman that I saw, she used to channel archangels 
And they said, put it in story form. They will give you all the information, all the facts, all the ideas. You just put it in story form. So that I realized that's my part. And they said, you're really just a scribe. Don't think you're an author. You're just a scribe. And you've been a scribe in many lifetimes. Wow. I'm a scribe. I love it. She said, you're a scribe. You bring formless into form. You take it from the formless universe and you put it in form. She said, I can see you in other lives writing with a quill. Now you can do it on the computer. I think that's what we do. We bring the formless into form. We're scribes. I'm happy to be a scribe for the divine. Yeah, of course. Beautiful. You know, I, I uh, had an experience a couple nights ago where I was struggling with some emotions around my niece being here for a couple of weeks. She's the daughter of my brother who had passed away. And so I feel like I'm going to get emotional. Good, let it go. Let it come. I just asked my brother to help me. I'd never experienced this before. He was rubbing my hair and he was in, I could feel him playing with my hair from the back. And he gave me so much wisdom in his words. And he said, you know, we feel like we always have to do something. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be present. So I took that opportunity with her last night, but you know, I don't know what you said that triggered me into this, but it's it just, you know, and we forget to ask. And, and it was like, he was just there. It wasn't my mind. It wasn't my thoughts. It wasn't me thinking, oh, he's rubbing my hair. It was just happening. I could feel him holding me. You just know it's not your thoughts. And I think there's so many people that are getting that information, but just don't know to trust it. Yeah, we, we're so full of doubt, we humans. But, you know, it's so great that your brother came so close to you because sometimes you're just longing what she wouldn't give to take him in your arms, what I wouldn't give for five minutes with my sister. But, you know, over there is really right here. And when you're thinking of them, I think very often they're around. It's wonderful that you could think to ask for his help with his daughter. And there he was. I wish we could all just trust ourselves, but I think life on earth and our education and our school systems, they shut things down. They just start to shut things down. That Children are so open. They remember that they're God. And then they get language and then things start to shut down. And I think that's where our doubt goes. Like you guys were saying, can I really trust this is happening, that I'm really receiving this? or that my brother is really here. Of course, your heart knows. And when the heart is touched, the eyes overflow. And that feels so good. That's beautiful. Is this why the wanderers are here to help us come back to that light? Yeah, that's what I believe. They're here to remind us that we are divine, that we are divine and let it be, accept it. And I'm finally starting to learn to do that. It has taken me so many years. I just turned 73 and what? I'm just, yeah. And I'm just getting to where I can let it be. All these journeys, finally to just, okay, acceptance. I finally know what that means. 
how did it take me so long? Yeah. But now I get it. Your first book, Mission from Venus, this has a lot to do with like the most religious leaders like Buddha and Jesus and how they agree to come to earth to help us. Right. Is it, am I, am I following that? Right. right. So very first like adult books I ever read was men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. (laughs) You know what I think about that idea? I think that it isn't literally men and women, but I think it's the archetype of the masculine and we have masculine energy in us and men have feminine energy in them. And we think of Mars as more warlike yeah, and Venus as more receptive and loving, but we all have masculine and energy in us. There are some men that are more feminine than some women. So I do think there's a, the masculine energy is more thrusting, more aggressive, and the feminine is more receptive but we all have both. And in fact, it's interesting that you bring up Mars because in Mission from Venus, the beginning part, the wanderers are in training on a six dimensional Venus and they're being told who they're going to find on earth and some of the history of earth. And part of the history of earth that I received was that Mars had a nuclear war their planet became uninhabitable. Mars was at that time a third dimensional planet as Earth is a third dimensional planet going rapidly into the fourth. So those beings were now only in their subtle body, only in their light body. They had no physical body, but they needed a place to continue evolving because they needed to evolve to higher third and into fourth and into fifth so that they were gonna be brought to Earth and seated on Earth and allowed to take a human body. But they were thought to be too warlike because they had destroyed their own atmosphere. So they were altered to become slightly less warlike so that they wouldn't destroy earth. And then the council of nine who operates out of Saturn's rings said, broken a law, you are not allowed to alter beings living on earth because the idea was for earth because people don't remember their past on earth, pass through the veil of forgetting. Can a being find its way back to source? Can all these bits, these sparks of divine find their way back to source without help us intervening? So you've altered the Martians. Then that was decided that no one could again cross the quarantine. Earth is apparently the only planet in any galaxy that has a quarantine where you cannot come in here and do stuff. I know that the greys, whoever, they slip through the quarantine. There is a quarantine. So the Martians now apparently have evolved and gone on and gone to higher dimensions. Can we talk about the dimensions, fifth, sixth dimension, just for myself, Mandy, and our listeners? And you want to know it? I just want you to know that I was literally laughing out loud on your bio. It was like, she lives with her family in Greenwich Village, unfortunately, still in the third dimension. That's right. <laughs> um, because the fourth dimension is a place of so much more love. Okay, let's start the first dimension. First dimensional beings are crystals, rocks, beings that have a spark of the divine and crystals are so intelligent and can be programmed to do many things to help, but they're first dimensional beings. 
Second dimensional beings would be like plants. Higher second dimension would be like trees. Trees are so conscious and they give everything. Third dimensional being, some animals are second and some animals are third. Humans are considered third dimensional beings and very dualistic. We have a dualistic mind, rich and poor, high and low, young and old, all these dualities. Where the task in the third dimension is to learn about love, to learn that we are all one and to love the other as the self because there is no other. And when we learn that, each dimension has a task, is my understanding. So the task of the third dimension is to learn about love. And when you learn to not desire anything for yourself that you don't also desire for the other, you are fourth dimensional. You become your consciousness, your, you two, your consciousness is already fourth dimensional or you wouldn't be doing this work. You get it about love for all beings as one. And that's the job. And you get a chance to move to the next dimension periodically, depending on how much light you hold. The move from the third dimension to the fourth dimension is about the amount of love you hold in the form of violet light, the violet ray. And the kohana of the violet ray is Saint Germain. If you hold enough violet light, you are in the fourth dimension. Many beings on earth are already in the fourth dimension. People doing things like sense of soul are already there and earth is too. As earth is fully fourth dimensional and people die off, they will not be able to reincarnate again on earth because once this earth is fourth dimensional, the vibration of earth will not match the vibration of a third dimensional being anymore. So they will have to incarnate on another planet that's still third dimensional. But if your vibration is fourth dimensional, you can keep coming here if you want or go to another fourth dimensional planet. Fifth dimensional is also a planet of intense love and refinement. And because I don't know fifth dimensional or sixth dimensional or seventh dimensional personally, I just know that each successive dimension brings you closer to source. My impression is that their dimensions are an octave. So you can go through one through seven and then one through seven and one through seven. And ultimately your journey takes you back to reunion with God because the universe dwells in a state of cosmic orgasm. When you finally return to source, you are in a perpetual state of cosmic orgasm, which is why when we fly out from source, we feel so much pain and separation and loneliness and longing. And we think we can find the answer in another person or in love of another human. And we can to some extent, but the longing is really longing for the divine, longing to be back in that state of eternal cosmic orgasm where we are headed back to. Other storytellers will tell it in a different way. But that's my understanding of the dimensions. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah, I struggle with finding words to describe the feeling I felt in my near-death experience. State of cosmic orgasm. Yes. Jung had a near-death experience. In the 60s, he had an embolism or something which gave him a stroke. And he went into a coma and they thought he was gone. But Jung describes his near-death experience. He said... He was traveling 
far out in space and there was so much love. He saw this like big cave. He wanted to enter the cave, but he was turned back. He was told he had to go back. And of course he lived another 25 years, but he didn't want to come back. And he was so depressed when he came back because he had seen bliss. You know, he had felt that love and he didn't want to go back into the cesspool of the body, illnesses. And, you know, he was then in his 60s. So, you know, go back into a body that wasn't totally healthy. Didn't want to come back either. I will say that the word love that we know it today on earth, the love you feel today. Well, for me, it's that word was broken open once I had that near-death experience. But like when people write about love stories, it's not that kind of love. So love doesn't even do it justice. Yeah, language diminishes things. It diminishes cosmic things. I wanted to ask you about the nine, the council. Yeah, council of nine. Apparently, different aspects of the cosmos have elders or masters of light who are responsible for governing their part of the universe or their part of whatever galaxy, the Sombrero galaxy, you know, the Milky Way galaxy, whatever. Our spiral arm of the Milky Way, and specifically our little solar system, is governed from Saturn's rings by a council of nine light beings. And I think it's a rotating thing. It isn't always the same. And they kind of look over what's happening on the planets that they're responsible for, and Earth is one of them. They're the ones who decided that it was wrong to alter the Martians to make them less warlike. I guess they're just the governmental board of trying to keep things fair so that various species don't get taken advantage of. Could this also be, some people have different definitions of Elohim. Of course, we're talking language again. You know, some people have said it's a council or many, you know, divine angels or head angels. Yeah, Elohim Mm -hmm. could be masters of light. Called called many things. Yeah. Wonders, when they go through this veil where they forget their life before, can they ever break that veil and remember? You know how you break it? Dreams break through the veil. Your dreams. The other way you break through it is past life regression work and life between life regression work. That breaks the veil. Every night before I sleep, I ask my higher self, my spark of divine, for the gift of a dream. And sometimes I can't remember one and sometimes I can. And then I write it down because writing down your dream anchors it in third dimensional reality. Because if you don't write it down, at least a few words, you won't remember it in an hour's time, unless it was a huge dream. Because dreams see around corners into the future and into the past. The unconscious is not bound by the same rules as consciousness, because the unconscious is the divine. It is God. In my dream, I think I remember the future. You do. I've heard you say that. There's a place that I go to, I mean, it's reoccurring, and I know at least six other people that go to the same place, and we're experiencing very similar things. I mean, it's really extraordinary. It's a very futuristic place. It's not of this earth. And when we talk about it, we're finishing each other's sentences. It's incredible. I would love to hear about this place. And I remember the future because, you know, we know there isn't actually time. We just pretend there's time so that our heads don't explode in the third dimension. Can you explain that a little more? Because it is very difficult to wrap my head around the time thing. It's really difficult. And I have to keep 
re-explaining it to myself too. Physicists tell us that all time is happening at once. We used to think it's stretched out like that, but really it's all happening at the same time. It's the fourth dimension time. And the reason we act like it's not all happening at once is that our heads would explode if we didn't say that this happened yesterday, this will happen tomorrow. You are existing in this dimension, but you are simultaneously existing in that dimension that you're dreaming in, that place you go. So that is happening at the same time, but it's a different dimension because every dimension is vibrating at a frequency. We can't see our brother and sister who died because they're vibrating at a different frequency. So that is happening. That world you and those other five or six people go to is happening now, but at one frequency. And I'm talking to you in this frequency, but you're also existing in many, many, many other frequencies. And your dreams, you can see the other frequencies where you're simultaneously existing. So it's not really past or future. It's just which frequency does that make any sense? This issue about time came up when I first sent Mission to Venus to John Hunt Publishing Company. John Hunt wrote to me himself and said, well, you know, you're describing Venus. It, Venus is not like that. Venus is, you know, got an atmosphere of sulfuric acid. Nobody's no life on Venus. It's a dead planet. And I wrote back to him and I said, yeah, that's Venus in the third dimension. But I'm talking about Venus in the sixth dimension. And because we're a third dimensional planet, all we can see is Venus in the third dimension with a sulfuric acid atmosphere. So he said, okay, got it. You need to just explain that in your book that Venus in the sixth dimension is simultaneously existing with the Venus we perceive, but we only perceive the third dimensional one because we're third dimensional. Yeah. One morning I woke up and I said to my husband, who is my daughter, what's my name? And he said, Susan Plunkett, and you're married to me. I said, I knew that I recognized you, but I have no idea what either of our names was. I was in another dimension. And when I came back, I had no idea who I was. It was the weirdest no thing. Way. Yeah, I did not know my name. And he, but luckily he was a solid guy, Persian guy. <laughs> wow. So in my regression, that was another thing that this spirit guide of mine was chatting about. He called me by a different name and yeah. I was like we were what and it was it's Nia and I saw it it was more of like when he said it it wasn't spelled like N-I-A it was it was something different it was like you know Nia oh. and he said it he said it very strange too like it was drawn out Nia that is so I learned my spirit name in a life between life regression too. No way. Anybody else who did. And I made that, I used that name as one of the characters that I think I speak through the most in these books. The psychologist that was leading my life between life regression, he kept asking me questions. And I was like, I'm just communicating telepathically. I can't drag myself back down to tell you stuff. But I think he was trying to keep a hold of me. So one thing he said to me, aside from look down, what does your body look like? And it was just a blue oval of light. He then said, what's your name? And without skipping a beat, I said, Sonam. And that's my name. And I never heard that word before. I didn't know that yeah. word. Just like you, 
And so that she's wow. a, one of the main characters in Mission from Venus. Can you say yours again, Susan? Sonom. Sonom. So I have to ask you about soulmates and twin flames. You speak about this a little bit in your book. Yes. My understanding of a twin flame is that at the moment we fly out from source as a spark, if the spark splits in two, into a masculine energy and a feminine energy, and traveling through its incarnations, at the point that that spark comes back together at, in some dimension, that is a twin flame reunion. Because that one spark has been going through different journeys until it reunites as that one spark for the journey home. That's very different from a soulmate because your soulmate could be anyone in your soul group. We incarnate again and again, like say you two, you probably had so many lives together. You're in the same soul group. Sometimes you're friends, sometimes you're parent and child, sometimes you're lovers, sometimes you're cousins, sometimes you're teacher and student. But your, your soul group, we all have a soul group. And we meet these people again and again in different relationships in our lives. So you can have many soulmates, but you have only one twin flame. And you only have a twin flame if your spark split in two at the moment of emerging from source. That's how I've come to understand it. There may be other ways of looking at that. Wow. So earlier you had named off some people you believe were wanderers. Can you talk about the dark lords and can you name any that you believe oh, here on earth? Yeah. The names <laughs> I've got uh, are... Oh, hold on. Sorry, Susan. I don't mean to interrupt you. The dark lords are interfering. They don't want this conversation. No. So who are the dark lords? Any darkness or any dark entities. There's two main things that I understand about them. They're in service to self only. You can be in service to others as you are with sense of soul, or you can be in service only to self. That would be a being of any dimension in any universe that is only primarily interested in their own stuff. They want money for themselves, love for themselves, and they don't care about anybody else. And even love only for self allows you to evolve up to a certain point. You can, just by loving yourself and no one else, you can continue to evolve up to a certain point. And that is the dark path of service only to self. The path of light is service to others. And you can go all the way back to the divine on the path of service to others. You gain power on the path of light the more you are in service to your fellow beings. That's how you proceed through the dimensions. On the dark path, you gain power the more selfish, the more greedy, the more people you enslave, control others, manipulate others, you gain power up to the sixth dimension. After the sixth dimension, you must come to the path of light or you're not going to find the divine. So the dark lords are anybody that has advanced on the path of service only to self really high to have enslaved a lot of people and there have been dark lords incarnate on earth who enslaved murdered and the more people they murdered or enslaved 
the further they proceeded on their dark path. In my story, I called them the Dark Lords of Orion. And the two main ones that are attempting to control Earth and enslave humans are Darpith and Veldemeron, but they could have any names. And they don't work together. They compete with each other. They would kill each other, steal each other's slaves. And they're on Earth trying to stop people from proceeding on the path of light. They would try to kill people who are advancing too high on the path of light. And the wanderers in this trilogy tangle with the Dark Lords. The Dark Lords slip through the quarantine in order to make trouble on Earth. I think that this should be a movie. This sounds so good. Yeah. I mean, the Archangels channel said, you know, we, we need another thing. We had Harry Potter, we had Lord of the Rings, we had Star Wars, we need somebody. I mean, maybe this yes. is part of it, maybe. Well, not. and you know what? We need Brad Pitt as Archangel Michael. <laughs> oh my God, Shanna, I love you. I used to have such a crush on Brad Pitt too. Oh, uh, and like the whole Legends of the Fall. Uh, oh my God, Legends of the Fall, that movie. Yes, I fell in love with him then. I think that's that was it for me too. God, the fighting a bear. I mean, oh, that was a great movie. The coming home from war. Yeah. So where does Orion come into play here? It's because the very first guy who's now deceased, who told me I was a channel, told me to watch out for the Dark Lords of Orion. And then I was channeling years later, that came up. Mm-hmm. that it was the dark lords of orion so susan yeah. let me ask you if you've ever heard of this before so years ago starting to do some energy work and it was before i really got into it and i had this lady come in and she was gosh she didn't speak very good english first of all she was um from mexico and we had just this beautiful energetic connection she was a reiki master and it was funny because she even said, you know, isn't it interesting that lang- there's no language barrier between you and I whatsoever, which was totally true. But she had told me, you know, I do believe that you're Syrian. I think you should look that up. Do you know that? And she said something about cryon. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this lady is crazy. I'm from Louisiana. And now I do believe along these lines. Did you receive anything about these specific star seeds like Syrians, Palladians? Just that I was told that two of the wanderers that I should write about were Pleiadians. Two of the eight that go through the story are from the Pleiades, but I wasn't given any more. The only specific information that I got about the Pleiadians was that they use in their education a lot of games and play to make everything about learning fun. I don't know what that means, but that was something I received and I put it in the book. In the story, there are two wanderers from Arcturus, two from Venus, two from the Pleiades, and two from the Violet Planet, which I had never heard of, but I was told they're from the Violet Planet. I don't know where the Violet Planet is. This is what I love about you, is that you just trust what you get, and you roll with it, and you don't let your ego get involved, and you just put out there. And if people want to take it literally, that's fine. Otherwise, it's a story. It's another story, like all the stories we get. I don't say that I have it all right because it's coming through me. So the word sci-fi, I hear that word. I think of just really out there and not real. Did you hate that you had to put this into a specific 
genre. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what sci-fi was actually. I mean, I knew like anybody knows there's a sci-fi. I never went there. I was more into the romance. Yeah, me too. Or self-help or something. Yeah. Um, But when I sent this book to John Hunt, I had to check a category. So I checked sci-fi and he wrote back to me and he said, sci-fi has to have the possibility of being true. And this has no possibility of being true. So I'm going to call this fantasy fiction. I said, call it anything you want. But then as it goes through, I don't know how it got back to sci-fi because they don't often give you the fantasy fiction option. So what's so weird was the reason I've been hooked on it from the second the email came across was because I don't believe it belongs there because it feels like truth to me. Yes. It bothered me that it had that attached to it. Yeah. I think that they need to come up with some new categories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, Thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah. We are so blessed and so lucky yeah. to have had this connection with you. I mean, you have just validated so much and you just align with our soul. And so I thank you so much for writing these books. I physically went all three of them. Can you please tell everybody when the second one will be available? Yeah, yeah. is available on Amazon now, Kindle or book. And the very first book I wrote, which wasn't really downloaded, which was a more like a memoir about loss and stuff, but is, is much more Jungian because I interpret a lot of dreams in that book. So if people are interested in Jung, they might want when every breath becomes a prayer at Amazon, or they can go to my website, susanplunkett.com. Yeah. Your blogs are awesome. And I have a, a website for the books, Mission from Venus. I read the first five chapters of Wanderers on Earth. I've read them aloud and put them on Facebook under Susan Plunkett. And I'll just keep reading them. If people don't even want to buy the book, I'll just read the book to you. Are you still doing psychiatric work? Are you still, is your office still open? My office is on Zoom right now because my suite closed because of COVID. So I've been working on Zoom since April. So Um, I just wanted to put that out there because you do some amazing work. I mean, you teach self-love, you do couples counseling. Can you talk about your specialties that you work with? Right now, I'm only working with adults, mostly couples and some individuals with anxiety, depression. And of course, who doesn't have anxiety, depression? We're separated from God. That's why we're anxious and depressed. That's why we drink and take drugs because we can't bear the separation from the divine. So the Mm -hmm. cure, according to Jung, is get back in relationship with the divine. That is the cure. That is the ultimate cure. And that's how I work. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. To all Sense of Soul listeners, you are loved so much more than you ever know. And if you're ever in a state of despair or hopelessness, call out. If you ask, there will always be divine help. Try to remember to ask and that you are just loved beyond measure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.